Well, greetings, friends, and welcome to the Gospel Underground Podcast. This is episode 128, What Sacred Games We, and I say we, me and Jesse are broadcasting live, live for us from the worldwide headquarters of the Gospel Underground here in Blacksburg, Virginia. Jesse, we are back, and and I kind of want to say we're finally back because... Man, we've had quite the uh, time trying to get on here and get a time where we could start this series. I had kind of some extra episodes here and there, and yep. then um, it's been more on me. I mean, I, I feel like my life has gotten a little... Well, I, I had COVID back in May. That's right. That's right. Finally, it finally caught up to me. You finally I, had COVID. I was dodging it and juking it, but it finally caught up to me. And then, and then I did that trip to Canada to support our, our uh, Bonhoeffer House That's right. church. That's plant right. up there in uh, the Bow Valley, the Cairn, and so, and then now you, yeah, yeah, and my mom, my mom almost, yeah. uh, my mom was in the hospital for a week, very serious. They thought that she might lose her leg or even be, be her life be in trouble, and so I had to go over there, and then um, Jesse, I finally got COVID <laughs> too. Yeah, me and Casey had COVID kind of bad. Um, and Jesse, you were kind enough to not come and podcast while I was uh, sweating with fever and, and my <laughs> wife was coughing. And Tommy got it too. Uh, Tommy's training soccer when he had COVID. It didn't yeah. affect him at all. He's out there um, right now training yeah, he's soccer. Out, he's out there, the right, he's out there right now. Um, and we were the big mission was to keep Kyleen from getting it. I think that was the main concern, not like whether we would die or anything like that. It was yeah. uh, it was if, bad though. I had if he bad. dies, he dies. Yeah, that's why. As long as Kyleen doesn't get it, Kyleen doesn't get it. And her preseason soccer training for <laughs> University of the South can continue. So yeah, that was kind of rough, man. Um, and uh, you know, it wasn't like I ever felt like in danger, like, hey, I'm going to, you know, but I just, man, I had a bad fever. I hurt. I had no energy. The energy thing was surprising, yeah. man. I just didn't feel like doing anything. Um, so thank you for being kind enough to uh, cancel. And we finally are here today. I don't know. What is it? Mid-July in our summer. We're podcasting this summer. We did last summer. That's we just right. kind of yeah, flaked out all Well, summer. I was on sabbatical, wasn't oh, I? Oh, yes. Yeah, that's so. right. And it does help to have kind of someone else who want, wants to, we yeah. want to get forward together. So we are going to uh, do a little introduction to our new series that we will be doing progressively a little bit this summer in between things and in the fall. Um, but it, you may have noticed we have a new uh, podcaster gear where, where you... I can make myself talk like <laughs> <laughs> We'll try not to uh, play around so much with that, but um, we are going to start this new series today, What Sacred Games? And now I'm using a phrase, anybody who's familiar with the history of philosophy, um, you know, 19th century Western philosophy, uh, anybody familiar with Friedrich Nietzsche and the godless trajectory, if you will, uh, where thinkers, right, uh, mainly in continental philosophy was the big, big place, I would suppose, that began to take the knives of reason, right, onto itself. Like thinking itself began to be questioned, what do we really know? And when you do that, everything started to kind of come unhinged. We covered this a little bit in our uh, series on the, the the series of the good, right, yeah. looking at this philosophically in relationship to objective morality. Uh, but Friedrich Nietzsche was an interesting guy. He was kind of an outcast in society, died of syphilis eventually, kind of went insane. Uh, and in his writings became very popular after 
uh, his death. And he, did, he did have a great mustache. Yeah, yeah, he didn't have a penciled-in mustache. He had a great mustache. Very German-looking uh, mustache. But one of the conclusions, obviously, was that truth was perspectival, not universal. Morality uh, was sort of a fake, right? A ploy to keep people in chains or or what Nietzsche would say, keep people in the herd when they were actually, or, or he was actually made for greatness. And so he wrote many works um, talking about his views. You know, what is a world? He was very honest. What is a world without God? look like. One of his books, it was a treatment of morality. He entitled Beyond, which is like a great word, Beyond Good and Evil. And so he thought that people needed to historically move beyond these concepts of good and bad morality so that some could become super people or overman is the German, the literal translation, a higher human race that evolution kind of would produce. And so now one of my favorite authors, Jesse G.K. Chesterton, who was writing in like the, the early 1900s. This is 1908, I believe, the uh, publication date of Orthodoxy. But he was interacting with Nietzsche pretty close to, you know, at, when his works would become popular. And Chesterton said this, this incidentally is almost the whole weakness of Nietzsche, who some today are representing as a bold and strong thinker. No one will deny that he was a poetical and suggestive thinker, but he was quite the reverse of strong. He was not at all bold. He never put his own meaning before himself in bald, abstract words, as did Aristotle and Calvin, and even Karl Marx, the hard, fearless men of thought. <laughs> it's interesting to see Aristotle, Calvin, and Marx in one sentence. Nietzsche always escaped a question by a physical metaphor. Like a cheery minor poet, he said, quote, beyond good and evil, because he had not the courage to say more good than good and evil, or more evil than good and evil. Had he faced his thought without metaphors, he would have seen that it was nonsense. So when he describes his hero, he does not dare say the purer man or the happier man or the sadder man for all these ideas are and our ideas that are alarming. He goes and says the upper man or the overman, a physical metaphor from acrobats or alpine climbers. Nietzsche is actually a very timid thinker. He does not really know in the least what sort of man he wants evolution to produce. And if he does know, certainly the ordinary evolutionists who talk about such things being higher, they do not know either. And so I love that, Jesse, about Chesterton's critique of Nietzsche retreating, right? What does it mean to be on, beyond good and evil? Does that make things better? What does it mean to be a higher person? What And interesting enough, today, um, people are a little more honest about evolutionary theory and what it's developing. Like, it's not this scaling up the ladder of being to this awesome future. Now it's like, now you can't speak directionally because we know post-Nietzsche, there is no up or down if you accept these tenets. So Nietzsche was hiding in, the, in metaphors, but he was a good writer. And the the title of this series, uh, What Sacred Games, comes from his parable of mm. uh, the madman, right? And Jesse and I have both read this. Um, some of you may have heard it uh, from different places. But in this short work, he artfully displays 
what the the world would be uh, immediately after the death of God. And so we're going to highlight just a portion of this parable uh, madman. We're not going to cover the whole thing. It would just be us reading for too long. But the the scene is basically this madman is running around looking for God, right? And he's kind of mocked and chided by some modern atheists. Uh, and he replies to these kind of uh, modern people uh, in this vigorous uh, se- section we will read. And says, the madman jumped into their midst and pierced them with his eyes. Whither is God, he cried. I will tell you, we have killed him you and I, and this is not like a, a metaphysical statement that God does not exist. It's saying societally, culturally, that these thinkers have destroyed the concept of God for the people. That's what he means, that we killed God. All of us are his murders, but how did we do this? How could we drink up the sea? Who gave us the sponge to wipe away the entire horizon? What were we doing when we unchained the earth from its sun? Whither is it moving now? Whither are we moving away from all suns? Are we not plunging continually backwards, sideward, forward in all directions? And here's where I think Nietzsche was very prescient about his own views. Is there still any up or down? Are we not straying as though through an infinite nothing, nihilism? Do we not feel the breath of empty space? Has it not become colder? Is night not continually drawing in on us? Do we not need to light lanterns in the morning? Do we hear nothing as yet of the noise of the grave diggers who are burying God? Do we not smell something of the divine composition? God's too decomposed. God is dead. God remains dead, and we have killed him. And then here he starts to ask some questions that I think, Jesse, in our cultural moment, uh, people are starting to answer. How shall we comfort ourselves, the murderers of all murderers? What was holiest and mightiest of all that the world has yet owned has bled to death under our knives. Who will wipe this blood off of us? What water is there for us to clean ourselves What festivals of atonement, what sacred game shall we have to invent? Is not the greatness of the deed too great for us? Must we ourselves not become gods simply to appear worthy of it? There has never been a greater deed, and whoever is born after us, that's us, guys, for the sake of this deed will belong to a higher history than all history hitherto. So his question was, if society has killed God, if reason has bled to death the concept of the divine reality, the highest of highest, the perfect being, the source of all moral goodness, truth, and beauty, if you remove that, if you remove the sun from the universe, he says, what festivals of atonement, what must we do to justify these pangs of guilt that human beings will feel? And then what sacred games in the future shall we have event uh, to invent? And Jesse, I think this whole series we're going to look at, okay, here is what our civilization has created as game makers, as festivals of atonement, things that we engage in to be self-righteously justified, create new enemies, and create, right, uh, holiness, a sense of sacredness, and a sense of meaning that we must create for ourselves if we are to uh, live in a world without God. Yeah, you know, you know the idea of, of festivals of atonement or, um, or certain s- sort of displays of 
uh, wrath appeasement. Yeah. Um, man, that is, that's everywhere, right? You know, that, uh, that that's kind of permeated our, our sort of, um, uh, our, our culture of expressionism of, uh, self-creation. Everyone's a creative, right? Yes. Um, you know, if you ask this question and we want you to ask this question, we, you should ask all your uh, nihilistic, atheistic friends this question. If there is simply no higher purpose to any of life, if there is no ultimate meaning, life is cold, dark, and void. What do we do? We all have to do something, and we're going to look as we stare into the void. Uh, what are people doing, right? More people are identifying as no religious beliefs. Belief in God is still pretty strong, uh, but that giving any sense of truth, moral, morality, meaning to people, particularly young people, we see all sorts of things that we're doing as a culture in order to appease our own guilt, but also to give a sense of uh, transcendence, right, and meaning and hope in a time where if you look at this ideology, it is in fact hopeless. Now, Nietzsche realized human beings need these things. We need atonement, right? right? We have guilty consciences. How are we going to justify ourselves? We need sacred games, I would say dalliances, to fool ourselves, to believe life is meaningful, create your own meaning, right? Um, how are we going to look at this? Now, Nietzsche's solution was, you know, courageous people should will to power over others and become a great person, dominating others who are stuck in the human herd groveling around. Not very nice, right? You know, what's <laughs> interesting is I'm reading uh, Hannah Arendt's The Human Condition, which is a book that I don't, I don't know what category to put it in. Um, I don't know if it's political theory or anthropology. Sociological commentary. <laughs> Correct. Yeah, right. So it's, but it's pretty magisterial. It's pretty... It's it's really incredible, and in it she says that um, uh, that the move <clears throat> where uh, basically trying to define ourselves, mm-hmm. which she 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 really traces all the way back to Augustine in, mm-hmm. in his confession, saying what what is, when am I? Who am conscious autobiography, yeah. right? About what, his inner life, <clears throat> yeah, which was new in history, which was new in history, yeah. and and to ask the question without God. So in order, in other words. If we've killed God, mm-hmm. and then we, we we no longer can even ask the question, uh, "Who am I?" or "What is a man?" "What is mm-hmm. what is mankind?" Uh, she she equates that to trying to jump over our own shadow. That this yeah. is just an impossibility. Yeah. And then she traces it to the necessity then of creating the the Ubermensch. The yeah. Yeah. you know uh, the only answer really is, in other words, if we really have killed God. Yeah. Uh, the niche is right, like yeah. because of the way that we're wired, we have to have some something to worship, some some sense of identity in in um and having some something to kind of give ourselves to. That's right. But we don't right. have the ability to find it within ourselves. That's right. Um, and and so if it's not in ourselves, we do go to these power moves. We'll yep. see that in one of the sacred games we create. You know, we make power moves. We make political And we go to politics. That's yeah. right. Yeah. And uh, certainly uh, we make gods out of delightful things like sexuality and sensuality. I think it was Michael Muggeridge in the mid-20th century says that what will remain is going to be erotomania or megalomania, you know, the Clint's fist or the phallus, Hitler or Hugh Hefner, right? That's... The kind of reality I think we see a little or bit. Today. Sometimes maybe they come together in the same person. Yeah, maybe they. <laughs> maybe. Um, well, when we look at our sacred games, Jesse, I'm I'm saying this series our 
because there's this idea, right, that if, say, we still believe God is not dead, we believe Jesus is risen from the dead. We have a transcendent morality. We have a transcendent meaning. We take our definition downstream from the person and being and word, right, of God. Uh, that does not mean that we are floating along uh, as an inert thing, not engaging with this culture, living in this culture itself. So these sacred games, we participate in at times. And I think we need to be aware of them for that reason, for you know the, 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 the seducing call of the siren of idolatry in these areas, in these sacred games, but also for understanding our fellow human beings who might be trying to jump over Maybe not their shadow, but maybe over the image of God to try to find themselves without the one who made them. And so when we start talking about our games, um, certainly uh, Charles Taylor, Catholic philosopher, Canadian, um, in the book, What What It Means to Be Human by Carter Sneed, he's talking about Taylor's ideas uh, in our culture. And Taylor had this idea of atomistic individualism, that the West has made us into these inert individual monad things, individuals, which we were never meant to be and which we are not. Um, but Sneed comments on that and says, the individual vision of human identity only recognizes as binding those moral demands that cohere with the will, interests, and preferences of the individual. There are no unchosen obligations or duties within this anthropology. And so when we started talking about our games, we need to realize we're living in this individualistic age where people are concerned of their will, interests, and preferences, first and foremost, many times. Um, Not that everybody is like, to heck with everybody else, society doesn't matter, but it's a starting point is the internal self and reflections of the will and interests and preferences. And then so uh, Sneed continues talking about these kind of ideas, saying freed from the dictates of nature and the sanction of social roles that society would define anything about us, the human subject is then installed as the sovereign, cast as the only author of moral meanings, um, a self-originating source of valid claims. In other words, every individual now uh, creates these valid claims about what is good for them or their truth, right? Hey, define and articulate your truth. The universe, culture, God, anything else has to realign, as it were, to that. And so this is the world we're trying to make, um, but we're running into each other. We're running into reality as created by God. We're running into the moral law of God as we smash up our sacred games in the middle of the floor. Jesse, I was reading one of your favorite authors recently, and I was shocked, right? I was like, I was about to quit reading this book, Brothers Brothers Karamazov by Fedor Dostoevsky. I'm about an hour left in this 45-hour Yeah, I was going to say, so you've been listening for... Forever, right? And I was about to quit, and I came across this chapter, which you you are much more uh, learned on this than me, but it was a chapter called Conversation and Exhortations from Father Zosima. And tell me who that is, and then read a little bit of his words for us. Yeah, so Dostoevsky in The Brothers Karamazov conceived of these sort of dual um, sort of interpretations of the world. One would be more in the Nietzschean sort of realm, and that's actually represented by ironically, maybe not ironically if you're, if you're uh, Russian Orthodox, but yeah. uh, by the, the Grand Inquisitor, you know, the Catholic Inquisitor, who is, um, who is actually uh, 
putting Jesus on trial, right? Yeah. So Jesus comes back. Yeah. And uh and And even the religious guy is going to go at right. him. And and uh and then and then Ivan, one of the brothers, sort of rep actually it's Ivan's story that he wrote yeah. or or a play that he's writing. And and uh Dostoevsky, his answer to that actually is in this in this um this sort of dialogue with Father Zosima, who is uh, this cherished monk that Alyosha, elder of, of the church, yep. kind of everyone looks to for wisdom. Yep, yep, yep. and uh, and who is very much just a human. You know, yeah. there's something very earthy about him. But uh, and this is his, you know, his kind of his uh, monologue here about this. So I'll read from uh, I'll read from this. They have science, but in science there is nothing but what is the object of sense, the spiritual world. The higher part of man's being is rejected altogether, dismissed with a sort of triumph, even with hatred. The world has proclaimed the reign of freedom, especially of late. But what do we see in this freedom of theirs? Nothing but slavery and self-destruction. For the world says, you have desires and so satisfy them, for you have the same rights as the most rich and powerful. Don't be afraid of satisfying them and even multiplying your desires. That is the modern doctrine of the world, and that they see freedom. And what follows from this right of multiplication of desires? In the rich, isolation and spiritual suicide. In the poor, envy and murder. For they have been given rights, but have not been shown the means of satisfying their wants. They maintain that the world is getting more and more united, more and more bound together in brotherly community, as it overcomes distance and sets thoughts flying through the air. Alas, but no faith in such a bond of union. Interpreting freedom as the multiplication and rapid satisfaction of desires, men distort their own nature. For many senseless and foolish desires and habits and ridiculous fancies are fostered in them. They live only for mutual envy, for luxury and ostentation. To have dinners, visits, carriages, rank, and slaves to wait on one is looked upon as a necessity for which life, honor, and human feeling are sacrificed. And men even commit suicide if they're unable to satisfy it. We see the same thing among those who are not rich, while the poor drown their unsatisfied need and their envy and drunkenness. But soon they will drink blood instead of wine. They are being led on to it. I ask you, is such a man free? Amen. I remember listening to that, Jesse, thinking, wow, this is, you know, what, late 19th century, late 1800s, yeah. and already seeing what it would mean to deny the spiritual nature of human beings and give ourselves fully and only over to our appetites and our foolish desires, which, you know, the Bible says plunge men into all sorts of ruin. Um, and I think this individual aspect, turn in, sir, look at your truth, look what you want, and then be guided by only that. Um, has led us to uh, a situation in in our civilization where a world without God, ultimate meaning, objective morality, purpose, truth, all that stuff you can't talk about in like public school, right? My kids just finished public high my public high school. You have to be left on your own to create that and whatever you do. And so this is a but here's the thing: human beings, we have desires, right? Yeah, we have desires to worship things, to want things, um, but without any sort of guidance for them. This is the old proverb, right? There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end is the way of death, right? We will consume ourselves and create sacred games for ourselves that will utterly destroy us. 
And man, sadly, even his comment on what the rich and poor per- pursue in life and how that unfolds seems to be happening today in our culture uh, out in these streets. And so what I want, Jesse, for us to in this series to see is to see man as a game maker, not in the sense of like Hunger Games where we're making games. Well, maybe, maybe there are some of those out there making games to have people destroy each other in the streets. But, but as people who have to create stuff now, because there are no givens, right? There's nothing that's given to us from God. So what do we do? We are creatives. We are creating ourselves, right, in whatever way we want. We want to define ourselves in whatever way we want and make other people accept our definitions in the universe accord to our desire to say that, you know, stuff like, yeah, men can have babies, right, this kind of conversation that's happening uh, in our age. Now, this is a book you put me on to. A book called Strange Rights, New Religions for a Godless Age, right? right? This is by Tara Isabella Burton. Uh, you put me on this book, and I've read most of it already, and it's fascinating. Well, you, you've already read more than me. So, yeah, <laughs> I, I had read her, I had read an article she had written uh-huh. that really piqued my interest. So I picked the book up and then... Uh, and Told then, me about it in a coffee shop. I was shop. like, you got to get it and yeah. read it, yeah. and then I'll read it later, yeah. Well, in the beginning, in the introduction chapter, uh, this is fantastic. This is on page 10 of Strange Rights, New Religions for a Godless Age. She said, a religion of emotive, right, emotion, intuition, of aestheticized, you know, beauty, commodified experience, of self-creation and self-improvement, and yes, selfies, right? A religion for a new generation of American raised to think of themselves both as capitalist consumers, consumers, right? And as content creators, a religion decoupled from institutions, from creeds, from metaphysical truth claims about God or the universe or, quote, the way things are. But that still seeks, we're still seeking in various and varying ways to provide us with the pillars of what religion has always provided, meaning, purpose, community, and ritual. This is what we're calling sacred games today, Jesse, that all of these things are religious in nature because we're seeking meaning, purpose, community, and uh, ritual. You know, you know that, that's so interesting because um, one of the things that Charles Taylor doesn't address, and uh, maybe Sneed is, I haven't read that, but... Uh, Taylor was writing before the iPhone, right? Taylor, I think he's still alive, isn't he? I mean, I think so. Yeah. yeah so, so we're not talking about, you know, Nietzsche. We're talking, this is not that long ago, but so much techno tech, technology wise has changed in terms of where we find our identity and the expression of our sort of religious bents. Right. So yeah. you might think about like, uh, you know, a thousand years ago, we were looking up you know, for, for, uh, our source of identity and yeah. where we worship. Yeah, yeah. And then maybe there was a turn to looking, uh, parallel, right? Yeah. Like mankind, right? Yeah. You, look you at know. the beauty in other and, hum- yeah. and maybe we, we, maybe we'd say there was a turn to looking even with Nietzsche, uh, uh, internally, right? Yeah. Like self expression and realization and becoming the, the one to rule. Yeah, and certainly fulfilled later in existentialism. Right. right. Like and it feels like right now we're in this turn, and it's it, we keep going down further, right? Like from... <laughs> from we're looking the, into hell through Facebook. <laughs> and now it's like down to our phone, right? Like, yeah. our, you know, at our belly where yeah. we're just... And, and, yeah. the, and that's where the inputs and the outputs are, yeah. both in terms of identity 
yeah. and in terms of religious expression. And that's yeah. something that I'm not sure that certainly Taylor has a lot to say about it, yeah. but we're living it. Like yeah. we're, we're in the wild west of this kind of strange, almost, that's why this book, this book that, that we're looking at here, yeah. I'm excited to get into. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Um, you know, looking at modern phenomenon as religious performance, right, is in and sacred games, I think is very important because a lot of these urges that happen just because look, philosophical things that happen in, you know, people like Kant and Nietzsche and all the these eventually become the um assumed undertones of like people who train education people and teachers. Yeah. What yeah. is knowledge? Well, most people uh in say if you go to a university <laughs> to learn how to educate people. Um, it's all just steeped in what's called constructivism, right? It's like you're creating knowledge, yeah. right? It's a creative action. It's not like a, a reflection upon that which is to come to that which is true. Um, in fact, there's a, a PhD student who actually we knew when she was an athlete here at Tech, literally on her Instagram saying, I was intimidated about doing a PhD because all these smart people are, are out here making stuff up. And I realized I can make up stuff too. Uh, and so I got a PhD. <laughs> <laughs> quite literally, right? No, quite literally. And so... Um, I can make up stuff, too. Yeah, we just all making it up. Now, now, is that true, that we're all making it up? If it is, right, well, festivals of atonement, sacred yeah. games, that's all we got. And, and if you're not a religious person listening, and when we say this, hey, the, these sacred games are religious in nature, we're talking about meaning, purpose, community, and ritual, and you might say, hey... I'm not a religious. Well, we might just have different gods, right? You you might be of the Dallas Cowboys religion, right? Or Ooh. or the Democratic Party. Don't boo that. Or maybe you should. <laughs> I don't know. Or 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 you or what kind of thirst you have, right? On Thursday night, that's your religion, right? What your sacred quest is going on? You can't help it. You're a human worshiping creature, um, and man, uh, but many are trying to go about this it's like heading off in the wrong direction right like yeah uh, it's like that's why i said dallas cowboys right it's, it's like, like that's the wrong a, direction it's wrong direction right <laughs> i'm not sure that my team's any better though yeah, but they are commanders now uh because of our <laughs> sacred games they are you know so, what's interesting reed is uh i didn't mention this before but nietzsche um he really admired dostoevsky and uh, at one point i think he said something along the lines of and i, I haven't i haven't fact checked this but something along the lines of um uh, the only philosopher I've ever learned from or is, is uh, Dostoevsky. So it's interesting because they're both sort of uh, agreeing on the absurdity of life without God. Right, um, right. But their conclusions are different because, I think, because of the religious sort of moral ecology that they lived yeah. in that allowed them to sort of go to different places for that's meaning right. and community. And, that's and right. for us, and that, that's why I mentioned the mm. phones, because, um, you know, my daughter is getting baptized this Sunday. And this is a, amen. I mean, amen. I'm I'm amen. so excited. She's 11. This is this external ritual yeah. uh, that gives meaning, and it's it's from above. We do it because the Bible says, and yeah. then it's also from outside, right? The yeah. community yeah. says this is how you do it. This is what you do. This is what it looks like. Here's how the whole thing works, and then yeah. we affirm you and receive you in. And um and the thing that terrifies me is that she'll have in the future. She doesn't have a phone right now, yeah. but one day when she's like. 18, yeah. <laughs> Whatever, however you do you. One yeah. day she's going to have this, this thing that is, is, is 24 seven inputting in, in yeah. these categories that are religious categories that, yeah. and so, so, you know, you, you ask, I, I wonder, you know, do, does the average church member at my church who I love, 
are they finding more of their religious identity and expression yeah. through what they're maybe posting and, and how they're yeah. fitting into yeah. rituals online versus, yeah. uh, you know. Yeah. I know it's probably too simplistic to see um, things like mobile devices with always on high speed broadband connections as uh, hellscape portals into various sacred games. In other words, it's an enabling, it's like throwing gas on what we would do anyway. Yeah. It just enables us to connect with a myriad of diversity of things, ideas, and worshiping things uh, very, very simply and very, very effectively with very little friction and high dopamine addiction yeah. that happens uh, through the the wonderful thrill we get from someone liking our Instagram story or swiping up, right? And so we're going to look at these sacred games. Yeah, we yeah. we maybe 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 technology is in its own category. Um, maybe I'm foolish to see it merely as an enabler of these other games. But um, we could talk about tool and technology and medium being uh, effective to to the actual process. Um, but I don't have that, Jesse. Well, you know, I think I think that uh, like with the work Jonathan Heights doing, t- showing sort of the effects of social media. Yeah, I think we're gonna why the last ten years have been so terrible. His yeah. article in the Atlantic. Yeah, th- those things will come in when we talk yeah. about power games That's and right. pleasure games. So yeah. I, you know, I'm not sure it needs its own category. It's okay. okay, good. So I'm going to keep these sacred yeah, keep games. The, keep we have seven because that's, that's, a, that's a the number right of number. Completion, yeah, right? it's a completion it's like number. Not a Dallas Cowboys number. They've never had a good number seven. Um, so here's Joe Weisman. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, he was a, he was a you know he's he my guy. He was a commander. Yeah, he's a commander. He can never yeah. He you could say he was a redskin just historically, but I guess he you, was a redskin. I guess you can't. Um, so here here's where we're going, guys. These are going to be the next seven episodes, Lord willing. They're going to flow out over the summer into the fall, I'm sure, as we can get to them. Uh, but we're going to talk about these sacred games first, power games, right? That all of life and relationships, in some ways, by many people, are seeing only in terms of power dynamics. So marriage, family, work, use of people, abuse, victims, uh, all of life, many people see as either empowerment or exploitation in terms of power, right? And if we understand everything that way, what does that do to us? Uh, secondly, connection games, right? And here we're going to talk about neo-tribalism, right? Uh, new tribes, CrossFit, brand identities, gaming communities, sports fans communities. Uh, this is big, right? This is, uh, in fact, we were just talking about, you know, we both subscribe to The Athletic, a really deep journalistic effort in the world of sports and how you can say, I get all the commander stuff. It's my religious journal. It's your religious <laughs> journal. So connection games. Uh, th- third, pleasure games. Right, um, eating, drinking, uh, indulging, right, amusing ourselves, right, those kinds of realities that we uh, walk in, pleasure games. Uh, number four, similar consumer games, right? Um, we buy stuff. Uh, the best thing a brand selling stuff wants is for you to identify with. Solo stove fire pits or or mm. Apple phones, right? Uh, uh, there's a funny article about kids pressuring other kids to get iPhones because they don't want green bubbles oh, yeah. in their iMessages. I do that. Right? I'm not a kid. Right. So we're going to look at consumption. <laughs> yeah, get get rid of that janky Samsung phone. Yeah, come uh, to the light side. Yeah, come to the lights. Come to the blue the bubbles. They don't even know about our blue bubbles, Jesse. Uh, number five, political games. So festivals of atonement. Uh, divide, conquer, power, control. Our only hope is in princes, right, uh, who actually can't 
save. Some trust in princes, some trust in chariots. We trust in the lame name of our Lord, our God. But do we? Uh, do we uh, trust in uh, donkeys and elephants and porcupines? Um, I was told that the porcupine is the symbol of the Libertarian Party. So you I don't said know porcupines, and I was yeah. like, I I don't know what you're I don't talking know about. You, I, know I could be wrong on that because I only heard that secondhanded yesterday from our friend <laughs> Ed, from our friend Ed. Ed <laughs> uh, he's a porcupine. Yeah. <laughs> Six war games, <laughs> war games that we're pitting each other. We don't believe in ultimate good and evil, but we're pitting each other in categories of good and evil, uh, gender, sex, race, class, festivals of atonement that we create in these areas, uh, and actual wars. Yeah, um, Man, I don't know if we want to prognosticate whether we will have a second civil war in these United States, Jesse, but we are talking about war games in episode six of this series. And then finally, which I think is very important, truth games. Um, epistemic, right? Epistemology, meaning the study of how we know things, right? And then philosophy. Epistemic, religious, and cultural pluralisms, right? I love the phrase from Revenge of the Sith, where Anakin and uh, Obi-Wan, who who do fight again, no spoilers, and Obi-Wan Kenobi, if you have Disney+, Plus, uh, where Anakin and and, and Obi-Wan are talking, and he says to Anakin, only a Sith deals in absolutes. Does he absolutely mean that to be true? I don't know, Jesse, but in conclusion, <laughs> Truth Games number seven. In conclusion, this is a quote of a song that's in the book Strange Rites, New Religions for God's Just Age by Burton. Uh, the song Is That All There Is by Peggy Lee. And it reads this. If that's all there is, my friend, she sings, then let's keep dancing. Let's break out the booze and have a ball. Jesse, in a world without God, that is the answer, it seems, for lots of people. And in fact, this was recognized in the New Testament, yeah. uh, where 1 Corinthians 15, uh, what do I gain, humanly speaking, if I fought with beasts at Ephesus, if the dead are not raised, okay? There is no eternal life, no immortality. Jesus is in the grave and dead. If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink Break out the booze and the ball, right? For tomorrow we die. Nihilism, Jesse, nothingness is being worked out in the streets without a thought, without reflection or love, with rage and coldness today, separating people further and further away from God and each other. And when Nietzsche asked the question, has it not become colder? Is night not continually closing in on us? Do we not need to light lanterns in the morning? Well, Jesse, I think indeed we do need to light the world, right? We need to put our hand, like the, the old King speech, uh, King George, put our hand in the hand of God and walk into the darkness hmm. and light the world. Why? God is not dead. Jesus has been raised. Truth, goodness, beauty are really real. Justice is real. Grace, forgiveness, and mercy are so needed by human beings. As much as sex and food and survival, love and worship are central Amen. to all of life here under the sun. Jesse, we are heading out into these sacred games. 
And guys, thank you for joining us today. We hope you join us for this series. Very important as we look at our raging world to see the religious impulses that are actually flowing out of us in our sacred games. The Gospel Underground Podcast is produced in partnership with the Bonhoeffer House. Review us on iTunes or Spotify. Review us on Spotify. Five stars. Acceptable. I don't even know if Spotify does stars. Give us all the high fives you can give us there. Five of them. Send your comments, feedback, questions you might want us to take up here to info at gospelunderground.org. We are a dialogue taking place in the borderlands between the church and culture, and we hope to see you out there. Peace. Peace.